Welcome to Beyond the Field Podcast, your weekly dose of finance, property, and epic people doing epic things powered by the team at Money Empire. Get informed and entertained with the coolest cats in the business. Welcome back to the Beyond the Field Podcast. We have the legendary Ashley Church back with us. It's been a while between drinks. Welcome back, mate. G'day, guys. You've just been telling us about the seal in the pool. Unusual for a, uh, a podcast with a seal in the pool. It is. It's been an unusual couple of days. I got a, a positive COVID test this morning, and I'm completely asymptomatic, so um, so no sympathy required, but uh, fin- finally got it. Um, and a seal in the pool. Seal wandered in yesterday, shows nice signs of leaving. He had a bit of a swim. Now he's he's on one of the deck chairs having a sleep. Um, I'm not really looking forward to his mother turning up, <laughs> which I'm sure she'll do at some point. <laughs> hey, um, I know you're going to ask, you've been asked this a lot lately, but let's just get a real, um, I suppose, brief overview of uh, just the economy in general at the moment and your thoughts on what's going on and where it will go to. Economy in general, that's a big question, guys. So in general, the the economy is, well, there's two schools of thought. You, either the economy is simply going through its, its sort of semi-cyclic um, recessionary period where um, uh, what has been a, a long period of growth turns into a flattening and indeed a, a, um, a decline. Or, and I tend to buy into the second one, I have to say, or we are reaping the rewards of, of a decade of, of quantitative easing. And for those of you listeners who don't know what quantitative easing is, it was this process, in fact, it's longer than a decade. It was this process that some of the central banks around the world went through where they were basically, to use a euphemism, printing money. They, w- they weren't literally printing money, but they were making, they were expanding the credit supplies within um, their individual nations in order to, to, uh, to drive growth. Um, and New Zealand and Australia, to their credit, didn't get into that for a really long time. They they stood back from it and said, no, no, quantitative easing is, is inflationary, um, so we're not going to do it. Uh, but the experience over the last 20-odd years of the nations that have done it, and that's particularly uh, the United States, Japan, um, and, and Europe as a whole, the European Union, has been that it hasn't caused inflation. So New Zealand and Australia, uh, late to the party two or three years ago, decided that they were going to do it as well. In fact, that was triggered by by some of the things that happened with COVID. Um, and then, uh, wouldn't you know it, um, suddenly we've had a big round of inflation. Mm. And so inflation's gone through the roof, uh, showing, I wouldn't say no sign of abating, but it's certainly still going up strongly. Um, and the result of that is that central banks around the world who have had this benign environment for about 30 years where inflation's been relatively low, which has meant that we've had growth, but without the growth getting out of control, uh, are suddenly having to put the brakes on that. And the way that they do it is that they use uh, something called the OCR, the official cash rate, and the purpose of the official cash rate is to is essentially to guide banks or influence banks in in the rates at which they set mortgages, uh, the, the mortgage interest rates, um, and so those have been going up. Um, and the reason that they do that, the theory behind it is that if interest rates are going up, then instead of spending money on on you know extravagant things like food and housing. Um, then uh, that you will put, but you will spend money more on, on on paying off the interest on your mortgage, and the result of that will be that it will dampen inflationary demands within the economy. That's a really crude instrument, but it does actually work. It's worked uh, repeatedly over the last thirty odd years in various parts of the world. Um, and so, what will happen is, as a result of those interest rate rises, the Reserve Bank at some point, we don't know when that is yet, will get inflation under control, and when it does, that interest rates will stop going up. And at some point, you would imagine that they'll start coming down again. But right now, we're in the worst of that. We've got a Reserve Bank, which is saying, got to get it under control. 
they've indicated that they're going to incrementally increase interest rates or the OCR for the next, probably for another 12 months. Um, there's just been a big jump of 0.5%. Um, and so uh, most of us are looking at our, particularly those of us with fixed mortgages, which haven't come up for, renew, for renewal yet or for review yet, uh, are looking with some trepidation at, at what that's going to mean when they do. And people who are sitting on rates at the moment of, you know, 2.1%, 2.2%, uh, might find that their their uh, new interest rate once they come up for review is going to be somewhere with a with a five or even a mid six in it. Um, so we'll see. Actually, do you um, believe that obviously in the economic cycle there's sort of four parts? Do you think we're in the contraction stage of that economic cycle, or do you think we are almost at the bottom? Hard to tell. Um, I know that the uh, the most recent inflation figure came as a bit of a surprise to pretty much every party in, in, in that it was higher than most people expected it to be, only by um, a couple of bits, but um, enough to, to cause some anxiety at the Reserve Bank. So if you buy into the theory that it's the increasing of the OCR and therefore the increasing of interest rates which is causing the slowdown, um, then, then you would have to say that we're not at the bottom of it yet because they're going to have to continue increasing in order to get that under control. Mm. Um, and I'm very much of that view. And the reason I'm, I'm so strongly of that review is because it's, and we forget this, it's only eight months ago, it's only eight months ago uh, that we had FOMO, that we had fear of missing out, that the property market was going mental. Yep. Um, so the reason that that's changed is because the Reserve Bank, two things actually, the Reserve Bank has started increasing interest rates and that's changed the whole fundamental confidence of the market. Um, and the other thing which happened at around about the same time as a sort of a perfect storm uh, with the changes to the Consumer Credit Finance Act, the CCCFA, um, which had a chilling impact on the market and pretty much lend, uh, killed lending dead, particularly for first-time buyers. Um, so the combination of those two things took what was a, an overheated market um, and stopped it in its tracks. So, so to answer your question, I I suspect we're not quite there yet. We'll get there, but we're not there yet. Where, um, tell me, do you think do you think that New Zealand's been um, proactive or reactive on the OCR space? And I've gone quite hard. It seems early compared to maybe our um, brothers across the ditch in Australia. Yeah, there's a reason for that. Um, well, there's two reasons for it actually. The first reason is that the the last time the Reserve Bank did this, they were they were relatively slow to come to the party, and they were roundly criticised for not getting inflation under control quickly enough. Um, so this time, I think they're a little bit sensitive to that, and they're they're wanting to, they're almost doing exactly the opposite, which is that they're they're going arguably too quickly. Although I don't know that you can go too quickly on this. Um, if if the if the purpose or the, the desired impact or outcome is to get inflation back under control, um, so that you can take your foot off that harsh pedal as quickly as possible, then I I probably support what they're doing. But the other reason they're doing this is that we've got a government at the moment which seems to be completely oblivious to the fact that there's economic carnage coming, um, and and is is uh, putting together budgets where they're they're not just this year, but for, but indicating that next year there's going to be. Um, increased spending at a time when there should be uh, dramatic austerity measures where we've got a government saying we're going to spend more. And so that's putting even more pressure on the Reserve Bank because not only are they coping with, with imported inflation from overseas, but they're having to, to deal with the with the idiocy of the government as well. I've got to say, actually, that um, this government, ironically, were pushing out there for the media. They're trying to help all first-time buyers get into the market last year. And with what is happening yep. right now, interest rates rising, to, uh, test servicing... Test rates increasing. And has done... Interest deductibility gone. It's done the complete opposite. 
Totally. To, to be fair, guys, they, I mean, the, the, the inflation we're seeing at the moment is international, so they haven't caused right. it. But, but a smart and wise government would be doing everything it could to influence that part of the inflation regi- regime, which is domestic, and they're not. And what, they're, they're pretty much ignoring What happens in a downturn? The rich get richer. Poten- well, potentially. Yeah. <laughs> you, you want socialist, you? <laughs> but, right? so you can, I just look back on what was potentially done, and no one could foresee what's going on right now, but it's kind of had the adverse effect of what they were really trying to do. And it probably goes back to, I remember you talking about it and us as well, you don't need to tinker with anything. Everything works in cycles. Yep. And by the way, by the way, that's a good point because this will be the same. It's interesting because if you read the headlines at the moment, you could be excused for thinking that from a property perspective, the world's falling to pieces. Yeah. It's just no, not. No. It's just not. This is, this is a moment, and by a moment, I mean several months, yeah, yeah. but it's a moment in the market um, and the market will continue to do what the market's always yeah. done. Interestingly, just as an aside to this, because um, I've been talking for probably a couple of decades, and certainly to you guys repeatedly about this whole idea of property doubling every 10 years, um, which is a mantra that that a number of people in the market have. Um, and it's an idea that's been kind of known to property investors for a long time. And that's incidentally, that's the reason that property investors retain property for a long time because they expect it to increase in value that's why you know at times when you would think isn't it time to get out they don't because because they know that just to hang in there and it will eventually do its thing um and and that was that's become more mainstream over the last couple of years and i'd like to think i've played a part in that by you know talking about it and making it sort of something that people generally understand with some of my writings and some of these sorts of interviews um, but interestingly, I had based my my rationale for that on data that was, when I say data, on sort of anecdotal inf- evidence and, and stuff that I've observed myself that was probably starting to get quite a- dated. So uh, about a month ago, I decided I'd better get the, the some data and actually check this to see how accurate it actually was. So I went to Velocity, who are a yeah. uh, data uh, company there in Auckland, and I asked them to give me the figures going right back to 1982, the, the price of property once per year since 1982. And they said, well, what day of the year? Because we have to pick a day. And I said, give me the 31st of December every day since 1982, which they did. And what was fascinating was, and it's really hard to do this without actually showing it. So let me see if I can paint a, a picture for people listening to this. Um, if you think of each of those those 10-year periods from 82 to 92, for example, um, and then you compare 82 to 92, so that's a 10-year band in and of itself. If you looked at each, and then 83 to 93, 84 to 94, et cetera, you see where I'm going with this? Each of those 10-year periods, the rate of growth in those 10-year periods is a little bit different. But when you averaged it out over that 10-year period, between 82 and 92, it was exactly 100%. Yeah. Then between 92 and 2002, it was exactly, and I mean exactly, 100%. So what it showed was that over that period from 1982 through to 2012, in fact, um, house prices exactly doubled on average in each of those 10-year periods. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. From uh, 2012 through to 2022, that average rate actually slowed down. Took it, it, and t- over that 10-year period, it actually only grew by 73%. And you had to take it out to 12 years before you actually saw a doubling. So that tells you a couple of things. It tells you, A, that that phenomenon's real and it's continuing, but B, that it's going slower now than it was 10, 15, 20, 25 years ago. And I think the reason for that is because the physical barrier of house prices is actually just getting to a point where it's more and more difficult for people to actually um, pay the prices that they might wish to pay. So what that suggests to me, here's a prediction for you, 
is if that trend continues, if we were looking at this data in 2030, that suggests to me that by 2030, um, it might be taking 14 years, for argument's sake, for house prices to double. So it will still be happening. It will just take longer. Um what what are your what are your thoughts around sort of cost of living for people in in the next year? Because we get a lot of people talking about you know our mortgage is coming up, it's coming up for you know it's going to double and increase. Do do people just have to be so much more realistic around what they're spending and how they're spending? Well, to, to be fair to the banks, the banks took a lot of stick over the last four or five years for the um, for the sort of the fudge factor or the the um, the uh, inbuilt um, uh, uh, ratios that they put into lending appraisals, where they were where they were assessing people at sort of six or seven percent, and you guys would know that figure better than I did. Um, and lots of people criticised them for that because they said that's just ridiculous; it's way out of kilter with what actually what we are actually paying um, now maybe they were right because now it looks like rates are going to get up toward that level. So if the banks have done their job properly and if, and, and if the situation of people hasn't changed dramatically from when they first applied for their loans, then in theory they can afford it because that's what the bank assessed the loans on. Having said that, because that's a really easy thing to say and I don't want it to, to appear to be unsympathetic, having said that, yeah, it's going to be more difficult for people than it has been perhaps in the last couple of years simply because the cost of servicing that mortgage is going to be greater. Um, so it is going to impact on... Uh, some people more than others, and it's going to impact on some people to the extent that it may even mean that we have people who lose their houses as a result of this. Um, and that's an unfortunate reality of the, the actions that the Reserve Bank is taking at the moment, and, and, and to be fair, has to because be. Because there's a lot of chat in the media. There's a lot of chat on the New Zealand Herald and every media platform every single day, but it's the practicality of going to a supermarket that actually impacts the homeowner or the family. Absolutely. The thing that's really real because um, that's in day to day and that's a real thing that's happening in real life. Yeah, and that's that's going to be with us for a while, unfortunately. And so we've got the double whammy of our mortgage interest rates are going up, food in the supermarkets going up, you know, the essentials of life, basically, the things that the Reserve Bank treats as its basket of, basket of goods and services um, on which it measures inflation. Most of that stuff's going to be impacted, as well as imported inflation. So petrol, you know, uh, and other things which are also essential to us are also likely to continue going up. And we have been here before. You know, this isn't new territory. I mean, we've back in the 80s, we were in a situation that, in relative terms, with probably even worse than we are at the moment. But that doesn't make it any easier for somebody who's going through this for the first time. And remember, if you're under 30, this is probably the first time in your life you've ever actually seen this happen. So so if you're under 30, you've lived in a pretty benign environment. I know people don't believe that. Yep. They think it's all tough and that you know old people had it much easier. But in, in fact, uh, m most of those old folk actually had it much more difficult going back prior to the, to the, to the 90s because it was the 90s that the Reserve Bank came in and actually tidied all this up and, and put a mechanism in place for keeping inflation in that 1% to 3% range. Yeah. Actually, is it fair to say that um, we as a country, but also too, um, from a credit point of view and lenders, the GFC taught us a lot and our banking system and credit system is actually in really good shape to handle a bit of shock. I think there's a tr there's a bit of truth to that, um, probably more so in other par parts of the world. And the reason I say that isn't because New Zealand didn't learn from it; it's just that our system has actually been in better shape for longer. And I and again, I know that sounds like an extreme thing to say, but we what we forget that the Reserve Bank Act that I'm talking about that that is the the basis upon which we use the OCR to keep inflation under control, um, which is used by most central banks around the world, was invented here in New Zealand. Mm. 
the, the Reserve Bank in 1989, which was the act, which was essentially the template for the UK, Europe, the United States, Canada, Australia, and a whole range of other countries, was invented right here. So we've actually had a pretty benign system. And when, it, when we got to the GFC, and, and it's worth noting, by the way, that the GFC was probably 80% the fault of the United States by some pretty excessive and ridiculous um, policies around housing and, and lending in general. Um, New Zealand's the, the impact of the GFC on New Zealand was relatively mild compared to what happened in other parts of the world. And that wasn't good luck. It was because our system had some much stronger and more robust processes in place than other parts of the world yeah. did. Um, just quickly, I know it's touched on the media, but... Um, you know, there's a lot of talk, obviously, with cost of living and interest rates going up and blah, blah, blah. People are going to be losing houses. But what people don't realise is people lose their house every day. You know, absolutely. This, but it's yeah, in the media because a business went under when times are great, but you don't hear about that. And that's probably what oh, I hear a lot of. I'm like, well, what about the people prior to even this happening, people losing their houses? Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because, and I'm always a little bit cautious about sort of talking about this for the simple reason that even if any, even only one house is impacted by mortgagee sales, if you happen to be the owner of that one house, yeah. um, the world's ending for yeah. you. So so although I don't think we're going to see large numbers, and in fact the indications are we're not seeing, um, you know, any, any sort of flurry of, of mortgagee sales, the fact is anybody who's impacted by this. But put yourself in the situation of your first-time buyer, um, you know, a couple who maybe got together three years ago, got the deposit together, finally bought a home on, on, on you know, a limited income, and then suddenly rates which they thought were going to be around about the level that they were at for a long period of time have gone through the yep. roof. That would be hellishly scary. Yeah, right. So, you know, I can, I, can, I can understand for those people why this would be a difficult time. But, you know, to use the words of, of Franklin D. Roosevelt, this too will pass. Yeah. This too will pass. It, it will pass. The through. sun comes up tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The sun does come up tomorrow. Uh, can I just ask you, Ashley, what um, what are you seeing happening in the rental market at the moment? Yeah, contradictory stuff at the moment. I'm reading probably the same stuff that you guys are, and so I'm seeing on some indications that, that there's a surplus of rentals and that rentals are coming down as a result of that. Conversely, I'm seeing um, other information saying that that there is that there's increased demand. Um, not entirely sure what to believe. If there is a surplus, and I'm going and I'm going to assume. That the that the stuff I'm reading about there being a surplus at the moment is correct. If there is a surface, it's it, it's hard to understand where that would have come from. And the reason I say that is because um, in the past, where there have been surpluses of rental property, it's because there's been sort of a buying frenzy or buying bonanza by property investors who've who've, who've you know kind of oversupplied the market. Um, what mitigates against that to some degree is the fact that and you guys all know this is that investors largely. Uh, disappeared from the market about March of 2021. Yeah. Um, and the reason they did that, nothing to do with anything else that was going on in the market. They did that because the government brought in some pretty draconian rules, in fact, a series of different things, um, which impacted property investors, which knocked their confidence and put them off buying to a great degree. So it was interesting because that whole big increase in house price values that we went through in the latter part of 2021 was driven not by property investors, it was driven by first-time buyers and other uh, purchases in the market. Yeah. Um, so if there is a surplus, then it's a very long delay which has caused that. Um, so I'm going to be interested to see what that looks like. Rather than than sort of judging that on the basis of a couple of headlines over a two- or three-month period, I'm going to be interested to see what that looks like when we look at the whole year in context to see whether or not that's real or whether it's just an example of some stuff that might be happening locally that's being sort of exaggerated out of proportion. Oh, I think I look back on... Um you know, a lot of articles written on record consents last year and earlier this year being issued and all that, they don't necessarily actually turn into a new dwelling, though, because we 
That's right. And that's a point Tony Alexander makes quite strongly in his writings, that a consent is not a dwelling. Oh, yeah. It's 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 the consent exactly, mm. and a lot of them that were consented for subdivisions and new dwellings, uh, they'll put on hold their actual project before they can get underway because the cost um, of construction going up, but also to the market, and they're not wanting to complete a home and then sell it in the down market when they're unsure of their run costs over an eighteen month period as well. So, it's hard to actually understand how the rental market is actually going backwards, and I would have thought it's going forwards. Yeah, as I say, so I'm, I'm I'm sort of taking a little bit of a watching brief on that at the moment to see what it looks like in the fullness of time. Um, there are some other things happening. So, for example, we've got um, uh, we've got the, the the big increases in the social housing register. We've got the government, you know, leasing entire motels and places like Rotorua. In fact, a whole yep. street of them. Um, and other parts of the country and accommodating people. So, you know, you'd have to think that that if enough of that's happening, that will also be impacting on the rental market because those are people who would have been renting private accommodation previously. And again, we have to see the washout of that and what it looks like. That whole issue around social housing is interesting, by the way. Um, you know, and there's this whole debate at the moment about how the social housing register has gone from sort of 6,000 under nationals purview to whatever the number is now, 28, 29,000, and how that's an indication of how, you know, we've got this massive need for social housing that previously wasn't there. Um, I'm not convinced of that, and I'll tell you why. Um, I'm very clearly of the view that the social housing register is a register of want, not need. Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, when Labor came in, they made it very clear to people that if you wanted a a, a government to a state house, basically, that there was going to be one available for you. They were going to, you know, build through Kiwi Build and do a whole other range of things, and that resonated with a big chunk of their electorate. And the reason it resonated, and you guys will probably know this, is because uh, the rules around state housing are that you only you can you only have to pay twenty a maximum of twenty five percent of your income as rent. Um, which means that if you were in a, a private accommodation paying six or seven hundred bucks a week and the state was saying, well, if you move into one of ours, you're only going to pay 25 percent of your income. In some cases, that was a massive decrease in rent. So the reason people put themselves on that register wasn't necessarily because they didn't have a home. It was because who wouldn't want cheaper rent? So you saw a huge increase. Um, some of which will be real, some of which, in my view, will simply be, as I say, a register of want, not a register of need. So it'll be interesting. And so as a result of that, we actually don't know what the real need is because the figures don't record that. They only Any of us can go and put ourselves within reason on the social housing register, and lots of people do. Yeah, great. Mm -hmm. A lot of listeners more want to hear your opinion on this, and we touched on it very early on. Where do you personally think interest rates go to and potentially where they, I suppose, max out at in this cycle? Oh, well, putting in mind, I think I've told you this before, guys, putting in mind that my track record in picking interest <laughs> rates is so bad that, that I would recommend you listen to what I say and then do the opposite. Um, <laughs> but having said that, uh, look, I've seen some interesting and contradictory stuff. The stuff I'm seeing at the moment is indicating that they will sit, they will end up somewhere uh, between 6.5 may be nudging 7. Having said that, you've got some pretty credible commentators out there at the moment who are talking about the fact that the banks have already, to some degree, factored in some of those increases. So there is an argument that says that they won't get much further than they are at the moment, or that if they do, um, the profile of how that will profile over the one, two, three, and five-year rates will change. Um, Based on my own circumstances, because um, I've got a, a, quite a bit of, of, of uh, property coming up for renewal in November of this year, at the moment, everything I see suggests to me that I should probably pick the one-year rate then wait and see. Yeah. Um, and so, so what that will land at in terms of percentage rates, 
Um, you know, the, the, the landscape's changing daily. You get a big jump in interest. The Reserve Bank panics and suddenly has another 0.5% increment. So that's hard to read. How much of that have the banks already factored in? Um, I'm I'm working on the basis that I'm probably going to be renewing it somewhere around the 6% mark. But, you know, that, that, that could change in the next what few I months. What I will say, actually, is that... Um yeah, the banks must be making some good fat in their wallets at the moment with deposits or yeah. savings not going up rapidly. They've locked in tranches of three or five years previously. There'll be some yeah. big margins in there. Yeah, in fact, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago and said exactly that, is that you would have to, when you look at the math between what the Reserve Bank's done and what the banks have done, uh, the math doesn't work. So there has obviously been some profiteering going on, and I say that quite openly because the math tells you that. Yeah. I suppose lastly, to round things out, just from your opinion, how do we as New Zealand fare through, I suppose, this, let's not call it a recession, let's call it a, a downturn or whatever it may be. How do we fare as a country? And then how quickly do we get out of this, do you think? Oh, so, well, two, two things influence recessions. One of them is is, is obviously real in, the, in that, um, you know, there is a real impact on the economy as a result of increased prices through, through inflation and all these other things we talked about before. But a big chunk of recessions is actually up here. It's, it's confidence. Yep. Um, and, and confidence can change really quickly. And if you want evidence of that, uh, look at what happened. Up until November of last year, we had FOMO. We had fear of missing out. We had, we had confidence up here. Uh, a couple of things came along and knocked that confidence, and and now it's through the floor. Just as it dropped as quickly as it did, it it could it could it turn on a dime again. So, for argument's sake, let me throw you a hypothetical. I'm not suggesting this will happen. Um, let's say that uh, inflation starts to get under control around the world pretty quickly. Um, that we start to see uh, reserve banks taking their foot off the pedal, and maybe even in order to to instill confidence in the market, starting to drop those rates again. Um, it wouldn't take much of that for the world economy and the New Zealand economy to turn quite quickly and for us to enter into a sustained period of growth again. Now, I'm not saying that will happen. Um, in fact, what I think is more likely to happen uh, uh, once they get on top of this is that they'll leave rates where they are for a while. And the reason they'll do that is they'll wait for another recessionary period when they need to bring, bring rates down again. So so they'll leave it sitting where it is for a while until such a time as they need it. Having said that, we move into recession, then then that could come quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be reasonably confident. This is, this is a moment in time. Uh, I, I'm pretty confident, and I'm on record uh, in a number of different places recently as saying that we'll, we'll, ha- we'll be having a different conversation by the end of this year. So that's only six months away. Um, and that uh, that conversation will be a bit more positive. In terms of housing, same thing. Um, the trajectory of housing over the long haul is is up. Um, you know, the the it's interesting. You should re- mention the GFC because because if you look at that forty year trajectory of basically upward prices, we've had the GFC, we've had the Asian financial crisis, we've had the share market crash in the eighties, we've had the dot com bubble, we've had all of this stuff come along and whack the hell out of the market, and yet it's still continued to. To, to basically go up, this will be no different. There's a great graph around that, a great yeah. graph. And it, it shapes up like this, no matter what, uh, regardless. Sharon Zona from ANZ echoed a lot of those thoughts, um, saying how quickly New Zealand could get out of a slump, um, and whether that was 12 to 14 months' time from a few months ago, she did echo exactly that. And New Zealand's in a good spot to actually recover and then recover quite quickly once they get out of it. But yeah. they said a lot of it has to do with sort of confidence in the psyche of everyday people at the same time. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
Um, well, Ashley, like we always love getting you on this podcast. Uh, we really respect your um, observations and your opinions on this. And yeah, uh, to all the listen out, listeners out there, um, Ashley, well, fingers crossed, we'll get, uh, get you back on before Christmas. Look forward to it, guys. Appreciate the uh, opportunity to have a chat. Yes. I'll go and see what the SEAL's doing now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Beyond the Field. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with your mates or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, you can follow us on Instagram at Beyond the Field Podcast or send us an email at info at beyondthefield.co.nz. Thanks again and we'll see you all next time.